1: From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we measure out our lives in picture postcards and wonder what it is about impossibly blue skies, giant good-luck cats and one-eared donkeys that capture our imaginations as we explore the memories and meanings of picture postcards and try to tell just some of those stories. I'm Tom Jackson, and today I'm delighted to say my guests are journalist Emily Dugan and philosopher Julian Pagini. Julian and Emily, hello and welcome.
2: Hello, glad to
1: be here.
3: Hi, thanks for having us.
1: Now, Emily Dugan is a senior reporter at BuzzFeed, uh, before that she The Independent. Uh, she has an interest in human rights and social affairs, recently reporting on the struggles people face when being forced to represent themselves in court. Uh, she's reported on human rights in Britain and abroad, including in Libya, Afghanistan and the Central African Republic. Her book, Finding Home, follows the lives of 10 immigrants all facing the challenges of starting their lives in the UK. And Emily comes to us with an OX postmark uh, from Oxfordshire. Uh, Emily, when did you last receive a postcard?
3: Uh, It was uh, a couple of months ago. A good friend of mine, Amy, who has a passion for postcards, likes to send me the the free ones you get in the cinema, (laughs) which I don't think anyone picks up anymore, apart from Amy, she definitely does. Uh, And it was The Isle of Dogs, and she'd written on it, go and see this, right scrawled all over the front, in fact.
1: Go and see The Isle of Dogs? Yes. That's a film? Yes. Ah.
3: So where's Anderson?
1: Of course it is. They used to get a lot of free postcards in every bar you went to, but now not so many. They've dried up. Yeah. And now you tend to get them on the way to the lavatory, I've noticed.
2: <laughs> well, scan the QR code, haven't you, now, to go
1: online to get something. It's just... it's Why? <laughs> Why? Why? That is a philosopher speaking. Why? (laughs) Well, the philosopher in question is Julian Baggini. Um, uh, He's a philosopher who founded the Philosopher's Magazine and is a prolific author of books that particularly look at where philosophical ideas touch everyday life. Uh, Those books include Welcome to Every Town, The Ego Trick, The Edge of Reason, and most recently, How the World Thinks, no less than a global overview of philosophy. And Julian comes to us today bearing a CT postmark from Folkestone in Kent. And Julian, when did you last send a postcard?
2: When I last send a postcard? Well, I'm trying to send postcards to my nephew. I only have one nephew. There are three... I've got two siblings, and only one of us has... Uh, the others are trying to wipe out the gene. Uh, <laughs> and But anyway, so he's very sweet. I thought it would be very nice to sort of send him postcards from places I go. But I've been fairly poor so far. Oh. I've only managed to get one or two in, I think. Uh, I just end up being too busy where I am, which is no excuse. No. I'm a very bad uncle. How old is he? He's four. He was only four the other day. Oh, and you didn't bother? Oh, I sent him a birthday card okay. for that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's different. You said postcard.
1: Yeah, and I'm not questioning it. Well, before we discover the cards that Julian and Emily have brought along, I'll give you a quick one of mine. This is, of course, in the postcard from the past style, uh, like I do on Twitter, past postcard. Uh, It's an old card, and I've just taken a short bit of the message from it. So it's a card of, uh, uh, as my guests will verify, Corfe Castle Mm. in Dorset. A rather strange image. It looks a little bit like a village of the damned there.
3: Kind of rising up above the houses. Yeah,
1: and, and, and not a soul in view. Um, The the card was sent in 1964. 1964, can you imagine? Um, I don't know what to make of this, really. Dear Margaret, can't think of much to put on this one. Oh, yes. I'm not going to Hong Kong. It's Singapore. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it just makes you question what, what was said before.
2: I, I, it's, it's the East. They all look the same. There, don't they? even the countries on the map. I yeah, think was the idea. I guess they've been posted somewhere and just got it wrong. But I only had the idea—the way people sit down to write a postcard and they don't think about what they're going to write before they start writing it—they just go, "Can't th- Oh, oh yes, oh yes. He <laughs> says in the second line. You know, mind you, that's how I wrote most of my
1: postcards as a kid. Yeah, so an insight into your the, the workings of the brain on the on the card. But, that, you know, thank God they are written that way. That gives them freshness and, and honesty and openness. and
3: Much more honest than a text message that's been thought over for hours on end.
1: Yeah, and it's spell-checked and corrected. And I'll do one more quickly. This is um, a more more modern card, I think. This is uh, from the island of postcards, really, the Isle of Wight, mm-hmm. where nothing but postcards seems to happen. And um, This is from 1980, but it looks a world apart from that one, I suppose, mm-hmm. 16 years later. Um Shanklin Isle of White. Next year, Kirsty and Gina want to walk around the island. But I don't think we will.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hopes, dreams dashed in one sentence. Yeah, in about
1: 12 words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, just to let you know at home, images of all the cards we discussed today, these and the ones my guests have brought in, are on the blog postcardfromthepast.co.uk so you can see the images for yourself. You can tell we're not making it up. Now, Emily and Julian, you've been kind enough to come along to the studio today with postcards of your own. Uh, Emily, could you tell us about the first card you brought for us?
3: Yeah, so um, it's in fact the last postcard I sent as well. Um, And it's to my mum uh, who died in June. And in fact, I sent it two weeks uh, before she died. I had no idea that that's what was going to happen. Um, but we'd just been away on a weekend to Margate. And we'd gone to the Turner Gallery, where they had a, an exhibition called Animals and Us. Uh, and um, they had the most po-faced caption I've ever seen on an on an illustration. Uh, they had a wonderful E.H. Shepard uh, pencil drawing uh, of, uh, I mean, I believe it was... Uh, Tigger and Rabbit. Uh, and um,
1: somebody. Tigger had... images held in great affection by the exactly. public.
3: Exactly. You know, everybody's got uh, fond memories of those books and those illustrations. Uh, and, and somebody curating the exhibition had decided that, that the right caption for this picture, and I'll, I'll read it out, it says Ernest Howard Shepherd provided anthropomorphic illustrations for A.A. Milne's hugely successful Winnie the Pooh series. Recent psychological studies have shown that stories featuring animals that walk, talk and behave like humans can confuse children's understanding of nature and generate misconceptions about animals that persist into adulthood.
1: Oh. <laughs> so stop enjoying yourself.
3: <laughs> yes. Uh, so we saw this and uh, found it uh, very funny. I mean, it just seemed to be the most killjoy thing you could put in it. A...
1: An exhibition that you've presumably planned, curated... Spent
3: money to get that image. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um uh, anyway after this weekend uh, which which has sort of taken on great significance because a couple of days after we got back she was taken into hospital and in fact this postcard arrived um at at her at home um when she'd already gone into hospital and I took it in for her but anyway it's an image of uh, Winnie the Pooh with a pot of honey on his head it's one of those uh, early sketches and um, in the PS on the postcard, I said um, that this E.H. Shepard illustration reveals my long-lasting trauma at the anthropomorphization of a dangerous species, <laughs> the bear.
1: You've taken it on board. <laughs> well, what, how, what a strange combination of emotions around that, really, because you're being sort of a bit cheeky about them being a- officious, I suppose. Yes. But actually, the sweetness of the message was presumably very much appreciated by your mother.
3: Yes, and I haven't read out. I mean, it was a long a long postcard uh, that I these are probably the ones that you love actually where there's uh you know, you've... it's spidery writing and there's all kinds of bits that you can edit out and you can just choose the best bits. What but... are you
1: saying?
3: <laughs> <laughs> but um no, I uh it was it was a charged weekend. We we knew at that stage that she had Uh, terminal cancer but we thought maybe we had years um, and there was a very sudden decline two days after we got back and so I felt very very lucky to have had this very golden weekend with my mum in Margate
1: very good well thank you for sharing that with us it's funny how these cards cardboard is quite resilient so other things may vanish uh, from around that time but the cardboard sits there
3: Yeah, and and in fact, postcards were something um, that, you know, I don't know if either of you had this, but whenever I went to a gallery with my mum, she would always at the end, at the very end, she said, go and buy a postcard, choose your (laughs) favourite, the favourite thing you saw and buy a postcard. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a symbolic significance way beyond what they are, isn't there? Oh, very good. Thank you for sharing that. Julian, what's the first delivery you've got for us?
2: Well, I grew up in Folkestone in Kent, which is a seaside resort, so, of course, you know, we were the kind of place where people used to send postcards
1: from. Yes, Um, but you were there all the time. I was there all
2: the time. And it's now become more arty, Folkestone, uh, thanks mainly to, well, thanks largely to the owner or previous owner of Saga Holidays who when he sold the business decided to shove a lot of money into regeneration of Folkestone Um, and one such arty thing recently there these Jan Williams and Chris Teasdale uh, are collectively the caravan gallery and they go around places in their little caravan and they sell these kind of like you know postcards now what I like about this is it's not a kind of parody of a postcard, right? Which you used to see a bit. Some people do that. Yeah, it's not saying, you know, folks is rubbish, it's terrible. It's just a very honest postcard. <laughs> it says fabulous folks and obviously that's a slogan you get on a postcard. It's got four pictures in it all of which have significance for us. There's a a sort of a mangy-looking sort of seagull, um, which are pains in the necks. There's a genuine seafood stall, and I can vouch this is a real sign. It says, fresh seafood subject to sea conditions and hangovers. (laughs) That's that's genuine. That sign still stands. There's the Grand Bursting Hotel. I mean, do you want to have a look at this hotel? This this is a monstrosity which went up in two stages when i was a kid it's sort of meant it to looks be roughly the like shape a cruise ship the shape. It's, yes, meant to it's, look it's just like pulled a, up indeed it's meant to look like a ship actually that picture makes it look more like a ship than it normally does uh, it, it has coach parties entertainment you know, eat all you can buffet dinner for like three And if they're listening,
1: sorry. of course, we think it's an excellent hotel.
2: Excellent hotel. I I wouldn't, well, I don't know, I was going to say I wouldn't put my worst enemy in there. That's probably not fair. I mean, lots of people have a very fine time there. But it's an eyesore looking out over the over the harbour.
1: And you wouldn't sure. have seen it in other postcards, really.
2: No, you, well, I don't know. You couldn't miss it. It'd have to be in all the <laughs> postcards. There's these pictures where, you know, before it was built. And then below that, this is the favourite one. It's currently a cafe called Pelosi's, right? Which um before that was Morelli's. And I had one of my early jobs there as a kid. I'll teach you. Yeah, working there, serving up really terrible coffee. I mean, I've got Italian heritage, my father's Italian. And, you know, a lot of these Italians came over here and they didn't sell. They perhaps started off selling lovely, delicious Italian food, but they soon learned that it wasn't appreciated uh-huh. and they basically could get away with murder. So in Morellis, they had, you know, uh, well the gadget, the, uh, the proper coffee machine yes, yes. where we're now used to getting our very nice Absolutely. espressos. What they ended up doing was they just made big batches of this coffee, shoved it in a metal jug, and as people came up to have a coffee, they would use the steamer oh, to reheat it.
1: That's <laughs> like a comedy sketch.
2: I know, and it would be, like, bitter as hell, horrible. I don't, it's still a popular place
1: for some people. David next door has reason. fainted as a, as a coffee yeah. snob.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a... Co- yeah, as, as a it, was, it was awful. It was run by... Well, actually, my previous job was, like, a, a burger thing run by the same family. It was called Big M Burgers. See what they were trying to do there? Big yeah, M. M. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah, very
1: good. Did, did the lawyers get onto them? Um, I, they
2: didn't seem to in the end. What they did there was, again, they they had the proper setup, but within about a few months, what they decided to do was they made the burgers, put them in the bun, everything like that, wrapped them up, and when you wanted one, bang it in the microwave. So you, you had these
1: like soggy burgers. So these... Folkestone sounds like it was the sort of preheat or. Heat, heat, heated up at the last minute capital of the south coast I mean look the
2: 70s in particular and even in the 80s I mean food and drink was simply terrible as it was in most <laughs> places you know one of the go to places for a nice posh evening out you know which people might go to was a place called Cassidy's Cavern may it rest in peace and it was famous for it had all the fried chicken in a basket and all that kind of stuff prawn cocktails and everything but it was famous for its banana split dessert which was oh, like yeah. but it was like you know The banana, it was, like, covered in ice cream, covered in that whipped cream, and it was... I don't know how anyone could eat it, although I did. (laughs) But you you never worked there? I never worked there. I worked at the Morelli's. I worked for Big burgers, That was my first job. Uh, I worked later on at Morelli's. I swallowed my pride and went back because I needed a job, and I wasn't old enough to be legally employed at Sainsbury's. As soon as I could, that's where I went, and I have to say, Sainsbury's, say what you like about them.
1: Certainly compared to Morelli's, a model employer... Very good. Well, it's interesting because, as you say, it's not—it's not—it's a slight parody of a postcard. That mm. you don't—you know, no one, It's a multi-view like you see on mm. conventional postcards, but you see honesty and reality there rather than uh, just a spoof.
2: Yeah, indeed. It's, I don't think it's an un, sort of unfair representation. And in fact, the, the seafood sign—I mean, that's a good, generally good-humoured joke. I mean, this yeah. is a guy you know, the seafood stall. Does that you know that that sign is real? So yeah, it's kind of honesty rather than rather than spoof. And you know, you could now have arty folks and everything, and sort of show you the pictures of all the artists studios, etc. But that would only be one side of the town. Frankly. But if this is
1: an art project that's aiming to help Folkestone, is that working? <laughs>
2: Oh, I mean, this is these particular people are part of the art project as a whole. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, they are. And they've been very smart with it. I've been following it since the beginning, because although I haven't lived in Folkestone since when I went to university, I've always had family there, so I've been back. And they take a very long-term view. So you've got a couple of models. You went to Margate, yeah? Turner Center and everything, right? So their model there was, you know, build the big iconic thing and they will come. And to be honest, that's worked quickly, right? Right. In Folkestone, they kind of looked at the model. I thought they didn't want to do that. What they did was they bought up one by one long-term leases on a whole load of properties in one area of the town. And they were renting them out, affordable rent, studio live space to artists. So it would be sustainable. So when all these trendy London types go in there and start raising prices, the artists can still hang on. And they've also brought university-level education in arts there as well so it is it is working it 's working it 's a bit slow the The problem was that it was only just getting going around two thousand and eight and because the guy running it is a sensible sort of businessman he he 's trying to do things in partnership and everything so some of the key developments got stuck
1: in the austerity mud oh, right so but this so this card that perhaps looks slightly um Less than flattering, actually, is a symbol of something which is which is far more positive for the town.
2: Yes, in a way, it is. It's kind of because it, because it represents both the arty future and the kind of rather, shall we say, faded glory past that it's
1: trying to improve on. Very good. Well, you've you've unpicked that very effectively for us. Thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, I'll do another quick one for me. We're staying on the south coast. Uh, we're in Bournemouth now. And um, Bournemouth with the flags of all nations. <laughs> I think... It, it, does Bournemouth have a lot of language schools? I think it might, actually. Uh, we,
2: all, I mean, all of those south-coast towns do. We had loads in Folkestone. The like, young kids would come over, have a nice time, and at least half a dozen would get beaten up on the beach. It was uh, Sorry, it was terrible. It that was, was like, week really three, I think, was it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's probably what they're aiming at here, I think, there's this notion of... I mean, the flags are a little bit... The colours are all wrong, but anyway. Um, this is from 1983 in Bournemouth. Um... Now let me remind myself what the message. Ah yes, um, so uh, Reg is staying in Bournemouth, um, and he's writing back to someone in uh, Southeast London actually. And he gives us he says a few things, but there was one sentence that that just for me um, felt like the beginning of a novel or something. They have a minor bird by the reception desk. You a know, minor bird? These birds yeah. that spoke. And I remember you were always seeing them on television and you were hearing about minor birds. You don't hear about minor birds anymore. Maybe they all died in 1984. But um, anyway, old Reg was impressed by the minor bird on reception. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet it had some rude things it said as well. I went to Bournemouth as a kid because my dad had a
2: job uh, running a hotel restaurant uh, down there. And we went and stayed once in a nearby B&B, where every morning the B&B owner, because you always had breakfast, everyone had breakfast at the same time, right? None of this flexibility. Um, he used to put on a Viva Espana and could lead a little sing-along. Oh my goodness. It was, it was tremendous when was you were five. an, an
1: Italian run hotel in Bournemouth?
2: Um, I don't know. I don't think this guy was Italian. Oh. Um, no, no. It wasn't where my, it, we weren't staying where my dad
1: was working at that oh. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, but the, Span- the Spanish sound was just because that was a spirit of holidays.
2: Yeah, a Viva España, exactly. Everyone's on holiday, having a good time. So you want to sing uh, that song you know? at
3: breakfast time.
1: At breakfast time. That is early a in a the personality, day, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you like your eggs? Noisy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
1: In a given month, over 70% of
2: LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job
1: on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to Podcast from the Past, the postcard podcast. My guests today are philosopher Julian Bagini and journalist Emily Dugan. Emily, what's the second card you got for us?
3: So it's a, um, it's a fairly classic Land's End postcard. It's the old sign um, on the cliff. Um, and I bought it in 2011. And it's a bit of a cheat because I bought it and never sent it. Um, that's,
1: that's legitimate.
3: <laughs> but uh, I was there um, for The Independent on Sunday at the time, um, writing, a, writing an article about why people had stopped hitchhiking. So I decided I was going to hitchhike from Land's End to John O'Groats, um, <laughs> to kind of investigate this. Uh, and and the foreign editor at the time was very, very, very worried about this. I think, I mean, he'd sent all his correspondence off to various kind of <laughs> hell holes and decided that me thumbing a lift from Land's End was, was the most dangerous proposition we'd had in a while.
1: Which is telling about the state of hitchhiking, isn't it?
3: Well, exactly, and the, the sort of social reputation it has. Um, but actually, I had the most incredible well i mean it really only took a day and a bit um i got good. to perth I, was, I left at about just before nine in the morning and i was in perth by the evening um so yeah it was it was a really remarkable experience and actually it uh, showed me that we all should be hitchhiking more i think it's probably not a popular opinion but have
2: you hitchhiked since yes yeah do you still do it around the uk
3: um, I've done it a little bit since. I mean, I have to say I've since uh, I've had a, a child. <laughs> so hitchhiking with a with a baby slash toddler mm. is probably less appealing. Um,
1: but and how did the story turn out? Well, what was your sort of uh, what, what was your conclusion?
3: It's kind of a variety of factors. But I think a lot of it has to do with how private our cars have become. Mm. Um, and so and technology as well. But um you know we we can have music in our car we can we can be having phone conversations uh which you might not want people to listen to. uh you've got sat nav, so you don't even need anyone's help with the map reading um and so people are less bored that's I think that's part of it um
1: so well, people were picking up hitchers for the company
3: yeah, I think so, And, and I, I think actually that's why a lot of people picked me up. It was people who were often going on longer journeys often they they were just bored and, and wanted a chat i think uh and and that was that was lovely. I mean, I had I got told off by quite a few people as well. That was interesting. Oh, you
1: shouldn't be doing it.
3: Yeah. So I, there was this ex-copper that picked me up, and told me all about his uh, his strange sexless honeymoon in the rain in Wales. <laughs> um, and uh, he, but he spent the first ten minutes uh, telling me that it was a very dangerous thing, and it, yes. you know, well, I suppose uh, I it's slightly sinister.
1: People people telling you how dreadful humanity are, uh, perhaps reflecting a little more on their own opinion of humanity and their own expression of humanity.
3: Yeah, but on the whole, people were very friendly, and uh, and and. Um, it was fascinating just hearing hearing about their lives, and, and there's something about sitting side by side in the car. I, you know, I think all families probably have their best chats often sitting in the front two seats of the car because you you're right next to each other, but you're not having to make eye contact. You can you can have quite socially awkward conversations, and uh, yeah, it, it feels like a good
1: excuse for a sort of state of the nation piece as well. well exactly. What were your yes. conclusions along those lines?
3: well i think just people a lack of trust a sort of a real you know so 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 the reasons i think partly it wasn't happening i think we, there were sort of two big ones one was that people didn't want to pick up they didn't want to share their car with people um but the other is that people became reluctant to do it they felt very very frightened of of what might happen to them and that didn't seem to be backed up by much Evidence. If anything, the mobile phone should have made it safer. We've got a tracking device in our pocket. We can Google a taxi, you know, pull up at the lights and jump out the car if you don't feel safe.
2: Is, do you think part of it could be a, a suspicion of... The poor, actually, in the sense that you know, when hitching was quite normal, you know, not everyone had a car. We knew not everyone had a car, but we also kind of knew that you know, travel was expensive. That you know, people didn't necessarily have a lot of money to spend on train fares and stuff. So it was a kind of a social solidarity, and like you know, helping someone out who needed a trip was just a nice thing to do. Whereas now, you see someone by the side of the road, you think, what's wrong with them? You know, they haven't got a car. Okay, fair enough, but surely they can afford a bus or a train ticket. You know, what's wrong with them? (laughs) So it's that kind of. Lack of any kind of sympathy for why someone may not have the cash to to make a journey.
3: Yeah, I think that empathy gap definitely, and I, and I, actually another aspect I think is that economically there are fewer people who who can't afford. You know, when you've got the mega bus offering it, you know, you mm. a ticket for a quid, th- there probably are fewer people who are completely priced yeah. out of transport. Um, but even so, I think there are plenty who probably would benefit from being able to do it if they felt less intimidated by the idea
1: and and of course a sort of organized car share is is perceived to be an extremely good idea for Mm. for school trips and so on it's it's um it's encouraged and it's kind of codified but that ad hoc thing that you were doing suddenly it takes on a very different sort of frightening uh, aspect for people yeah, I see a lot of cards from the sixties and seventies where people are hitching to go on holiday, and they they, they they in fact, the journey generally is talked about much more than we tend to talk about the journey somewhere because travelling is so much simpler now. But people say, "Oh, it took three hours to get there," or "I got here at five o'clock," or "But hitching, you here, yeah, I got there with just a couple of stops," or um, "Or I got—I didn't get here till twelve at night."
3: Yeah, but,
1: but it is—it is, it was not for the family holiday. But it was something people did to get from A to B, definitely. And and you, you see it reflected in postcard messages.
2: Well, do, sorry, the idea that we got too fearful, I, I can understand that. I, having said that, I mean, my better half did quite a lot of hitching uh, in, in her youth. And she tells stories which make, you know, her scared in retrospect you know so you do put yourself in very vulnerable situations so uh, for some reason people did that and thought well hey that's what happens and maybe our lack of willingness to do that now isn't entirely stupid
1: but I you know what know. if you're if you're on a greek island and you're walking around on your holidays and you're trying to go from a to b and some chap drives up in an old truck and says hop in everyone would hop in oh how colorful how marvelous mm. yeah in your own country it feels different
3: yeah, I think that's true. I also think it's about time too. People feel much more, uh, much more impatient. They don't. They don't like the idea of a journey possibly taking two days or two hours and not knowing what that's how long. It's and going of
1: course, to be. you know, you're a journalist. You 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 had a vested interest in it being a rather colourful and stuttering journey well, quite, because yeah. that made a better story. Well, thank you for your your um, tales of hitchhiking. And you are doing it again, or is the baby stopping it?
3: I will do it again at some point, definitely. Um, I'm not. I'm certainly not too scared to do it again. Um, you know, twelve people picked me up in, in that in that kind of thirty-six hour period, and they were all they were all pretty pleasant on the whole. So,
1: excellent. A, a dozen people who had the, the the open heart to help you. Yeah. Well, Julian, you've got a strange shaped card for us now. What, 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 what is it? A football or a postcard? It's a round card. Isn't that nice? It's
2: from Celle Ligure, which is on the Italian Ligurian coast. Um, it's lovely it is very nice isn't it it's, the sun is always shining in says our oh, family friend. so basically when I was young we didn't really have holidays as such we used to visit family and friends of the family who lived on the coast Lovely family down there, and um, Which is I've a, got
1: what a fantastic benefit of uh, yeah, it is family overseas.
2: Well, it is. I mean, where the main family came from inland is a land of kind of like fog, humidity, mosquitoes, and toads. <laughs> um, it's not what people think of as beautiful Italy, but cello is lovely. And I, I, I got these because I'm afraid there's a rather morbid theme to the podcast uh, this week uh, because, yeah, my mother too died last year. So, you know, going through her stuff, she kept every card that was ever sent to her. So I've got several. I'm glad um, she did. Yeah, so I mean, this one, um, Chiller is it's, it's quite serious. I've got this terrible childish handwriting, which, um, so of how old course, are you I here? still have. I can't, unfortunately, the franking has sort of gone, but I must have been in my either early, t- 11, 12, 13, something mm-hmm. like that. It's
1: old enough to write it for yourself, but... Oh,
2: God. In a childish yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, indeed, in a very childish way. Um, it's quite funny, though. I was reading this. The journey was very pleasant, and we did stop for the night outside a garage from 2.30 till 6. <laughs> right? Well, this is because when we were very little, we often used to take the train over to Italy. It was just fantastic. You got the ferry over to Calais, got on the train, and all the way through, you woke up in the morning going through Switzerland and the lakes. It was it was really nice. Um, being a bit older, um, my dad was often working coming between the two so we drove and he used to drive without stopping sometimes so we would have driven from like you know Folkestone, and he would have got as far as somewhere and had needed a little nap so we we stopped outside a carriage and slept for uh looks like three and a half hours is that 2 um, in the morning yeah two thirty in the morning yeah yeah just to know that was our overnight stop it wasn't a hotel or anything it was just you know in the back of the car getting a bit of of shut eye um, there you go. It's a very dull... I mean, we only just arrived. We, there's a, the inevitable weather report. Good, yes. I mean, those are the rules, aren't there? The Absolutely. first thing in the postcard is state a weather report. Yeah. Um, updating a little bit what food you've been having. And what, what's the food? Ice cream. Um, <laughs> tea isn't bad. We had egg and chips for our tea, which is a highlight. There, there we go. go. Egg and chips, the finest Italian fare. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean... I, I mean, it's quite you know. Looking at these postcards, and I've I've got others from the era as well. I was always trying to be a bit of a, a wag. This is one from later life from the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, and of course they translate it on the back as the, the Holly family. Oh,
1: the Holly family, yeah, oh, I think
2: yeah, I've yeah. Met them. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've got look, I was saying, Buddy's the one in the middle. You know, obviously, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. But I don't know. I mean, what's quite fascinating about these is I'm I'm interested in personal identity as a philosophical theme what is it makes us the same people over time and you look back at these on the one hand there's a very direct connection with the person you were on the other hand it's a completely different world we're we're transformed you know and if I think you know you think about you know the relationship with your parents and everything as well how that changes it's it's you know there's there's a way of relating to her which you know over the years changed you know and this is sort of a record of something much simpler as a child. You know, is that the simple thing? It's your mother, et cetera, et cetera. So that that makes them quite poignant, really, I think.
1: And do you think the cards, because postcards are a rather old-fashioned form, is, is the sort of relationship lagging in the cards behind the reality, if you see what I mean? Is, are you still stuck <laughs> slightly in the childish position in them because it's a form... A formal thing that you learnt to do as a child.
2: Yeah, maybe. I think also there's this thing with... You tend to kind of get stuck in certain roles with family. So although you may grow and mature as a person, you get together with your siblings or your parents and you're basically like you were 12. So, yeah, so the last one... We all recognise that. So the last one I sent was when I did a... a, a, I was travelling... I had a package holiday for something I was writing in Spain at Calador. And um, I sent this to my mum. So she was much older, she was remarried... And I would I'd, I'd, I'd got less wordy as I got older. I would sometimes just send jokes. So obviously, as a young kid, when I discovered that lovely line, you know, the weather's here, wish you were lovely. <laughs> I sent a postcard of that one. And this one from Mallorca just says, like a Sara Lee raspberry pavlova, it looks nice, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. Because um, if a... you've ever eaten a Sara Lee raspberry pavlova, you know... Um I I've reason to believe
1: they're very delicious actually. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. a, well... pr- a premium product. <laughs> you you I we met briefly before you and you told me a story about postcards in Italy. Um that you'd had as a kid with street lights. Yeah, what, what, I wish I was could the find, story.
2: I couldn't find it. Um I don't know if I still have it. Well, what was extraordinary was that was the time I, everywhere? had postcards, right, even if they didn't merit it. Now, my father for a while was living in a place called Vidigolfo, which, um, if you say that to anyone who knows the area, it's one of those places that makes people kind of like guffaw <laughs> at the very word. It's like a satellite town in Milan, and it really is, you know, almost like swamp country. I mean, I remember coming back at night once, and, you know, the the the, the, the road is full of these toads uh, crossing and everything. Wow. It's It's... Horrible place. I'm sorry, it's (laughs) horrible. You know, it's just got a lot of new builds. It's humid. There's nothing to do there. I don't know why he ever took the flat there, but he did. And in the local shop, they had postcards of Vidigolfo. It was this most mundane street scene, completely mundane street scene. But what was really interesting, I looked at it, and I could see that there weren't any lampposts in the sky. They'd airbrushed. The sky blue, and as a result, you just had the stumps <laughs> of, the, of the street lamps coming up to sky height. You know, desperately trying to make Vidigolfo look beautiful when it that was always a lost course.
1: attempt to airbrush the town. Yeah, no,
2: completely half baked, completely failed. Um, what, what can I say? But you know, that's what the postcard was doing. It, it was like this, we're somewhere lovely. You know, the postcard's is meant to tell you this is lovely, and there's a kind of civic pride in having a, a postcard of where you come from. And if if your place is a bit of a dump it doesn't it shouldn't stop you having a
1: postcard showing it to have beautiful blue skies, and I think that's how that that seems to be in in the postcard mentality you You will judge us by our skies, yeah. it has to be blue i mean that we go back to the 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 the, the Corf castle that's hand painted those clouds yes. are not real. these I think just enhanced probably electronically yeah, and I think these are painted in straight blue skies. I'm sure it's not always like Adam Shanklin.
2: Yeah, I'm sure if you go to a lot of old postcards, you will see that the airbrushing can be quite crude at times. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Oh, that's very interesting.
3: I was going to say, my Land's End one is a blue sky, and I remember the day I was there was howling howling uh, wind and rain, which is fairly standard, I think, for, <laughs> for Land's End at well, that time. Well, you're quite here. exposed, aren't
1: you? <laughs> yeah. So that gave you an impetus to kind of get away and get north. Yeah. Get away from the the howling wind. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for those cards. I'm delighted that you shared them with us and with our listeners. Um, Another quick reminder, the images of all the cards we've seen today um, uh, are on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, including one last one from me. It's been customary to end the programme with one of these. I don't know if you've seen one of these before.
3: Oh, wow. All
1: right. Oh, I see. It's a flexi-disc. It's a record. You can play it. Can you? It's a postcard that's playable. Mm. Yeah. Can you see what's on the back and on the front? Yeah, yeah, we... yeah. yeah. It's it's. In it's fact, we need, you, we need you to describe it to us. Well, Emily, it... you're the journalist. What's, God, the, what's you... the picture there? How would you describe that?
3: Well, you've got a um, mountain rising up above a memorial in... Uh, where do we think this is?
1: I think if you've got good eyes, you might be able to see on the back. Yeah. Um
2: Oh, sorry. The, the music is by Otto the orchestra Otto Stumvoll or something. Um and the music is by Heinz Gietz and Kurt Feltz. I can't pronounce anything. It so good. I, I can't even
1: say that. I'll give up. Um where is it? Oh, Tyrol. There you go. Innsbruck. Innsbruck. There we go. Well, um David next door has been keeping an eye on things. Uh, he has some technology which might be able to make this make some noises. Oh, wow. wow. So we'll give it a go. I've never seen one of those. I've seen, you know, flexi-discs
2: free with magazines. I got a flexi-disc free with a pair of trousers once. That is unusual. True-text trousers, true-text. What was the music? It was, it was it, Noel Edmonds was presenting a medley. Of course he was. And it we used to play at high speed because that was always hilarious, wasn't it, you know?
1: He used to... He had a range of shirts. I didn't know he had trousers really I don't think this is range he was just
2: promoting the True Text 14 oh, it's what looking good's all about there's a nice little jingle
1: hi
0: okay. now if they'd played
1: this at breakfast this would, been, this would have been a lot nicer to listen to the Naviva Espanola you surely. couldn't join in though could you no you wouldn't know the tune
3: I still think music at breakfast is is a bit much.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know, but people on holiday have a good time, you know, this is, yeah, you arrive in a coach, you sing on the coach and everything and, you know. If you don't like it, go home. Yeah, exactly, don't have misery guts, you know. These were the joyful escape for two weeks, you know, I mean, none of this sort of pompous, you know, let's go and do some culture and, you know, go for nice walks. You go for two weeks by the sea, two weeks if you're lucky. Fish and chips, sit on the beach, ice cream, and a good sing-song.
1: Well, as the Tyrolean scene continues to rotate at 78 RPM, that's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Emily Dugan and Julian Baggini. Thank you both. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. Postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard, and you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk.